Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. We're going to continue in the Jesus period series. Um, Last week, Apostle opened up the message and we were challenged to really go study the life of Jesus. How many of you all did that this week? Amen. Amen. For honesty and obedience. Because both were in the room. Amen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Verse 9 says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Verse 11 says, If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Thank you. I want to preach a message today entitled, Jesus is the Answer. There is a song, Jesus is the Answer, for the world today. Look, we're doing good. I'm talking, okay? I'm not going to sing. But it really is a basic song, but something that we don't exactly live by. You know about basic things that we don't live by. Whose doctor has told them they need to drink more water? Okay, out of those people who does it every single day, drinks the amount of water they're supposed to drink. Amen. Who knows that you probably should have 30 to 45 minutes of physical, intentional, physical activity, heart rate in that target heart rate zone, three to five days a week. How many of you know that? Okay, now you know. Okay, right? How many of you do that consistently? Right. So like I said, you know about basic stuff that you don't do. Right? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus... While he was here 33 years on the earth, um, he modeled our relationship with him. He modeled how to interact with him. He modeled how to speak with him. He modeled how to follow him. He modeled how to entreat his parents. He modeled how to entreat the culture of the day. He modeled how to cast out devils. He modeled how to perform miracles. He modeled every single day in 33 years what we seem to not be able to master as if we don't have a guide. One of the things that stands out to me when he was here on the earth is the number of questions that he asked, but the other thing is the number of questions that were asked of him. And when we look at the interaction and the comfortability that people had walking up and asking Jesus questions, it still is modeling for us how we are to entreat Jesus. There were faithful questions. Um, there were questions on getting help. Uh, there were some hostile questions. Um, there were some accusatory questions. There were inquisitory questions. There were all kinds of questions that we see across his 33 years of life while he was here on the earth where people approached him and asked him a question. And so my proposal today is that Jesus is the answer. The answer to what? To every question you have. We've looked for books. We've looked for conferences, we've looked for messages, we've looked for people, we've looked for posts, we've looked for horoscopes, but you actually already have the answer. You're looking to the answer as to why you feel estranged from God. Jesus is the answer. You're looking for the answer to your guilty conscience. Jesus is the answer. You're looking for the answer to your broken relationships. Jesus 
is the answer. You're looking to the problems of the world. Jesus is the answer. The medical field, they're looking for the answer to cancer. Jesus is the answer. And see, you were with me until we got there. Because at some point we decided that there are certain things that we don't expect to bow their knee to the name of Jesus. And so we've decided there are certain questions that we'll ask and other questions that we simply will not ask. What I notice about the questions in the Bible that were asked of Jesus is the question was an indicator of the relationship with Jesus. So if you look at who was asking and you look at the nature of the question, they usually matched. What am I talking about? Well, there were the Jews who were opposed to Jesus and the questions that they asked him were all hostile, doctrinal, contradictory, and trying to catch him in a contradiction. It had to do with the relationship they had with Jesus. Then there were the mass followers, and they liked to ask Jesus questions as well. But they didn't know him that well. They were skeptics. And so the kind of questions that they asked were fairly neutral, but they had no insight in their questions. And then there were the disciples. And if you look at the questions of the disciples, the questions that they asked were full of insight. They were full of support and they were constructive questions. Now, some of you are looking at me because you didn't do your Jesus Bible study last week. You don't know one question from the last question. And that's okay. We're going to look at some of the questions. Y'all ready? Well, let's look at some of the questions. I believe that this message um, is inserted right here in this series because God is trying to transition us in our relationship with him. He doesn't, he wants a relationship with you, but he doesn't want a crisis based relationship with you. And so he is interested in seeing you outside of crisis. He's interested in seeing you outside of desperation. He wants to see happy you as well. He doesn't want to just see disappointed you. He wants to see inspired you. He doesn't want to just see you in the valley. He wants to see you on the mountaintop. Like Jesus wants to have a relationship with you in every season of your life. But we've robbed him. And we've made our relationship a crisis-centered relationship. And so most of the time when we see him or we ask him a question, it is a hostile question or a question out of desperation, similar to those who were opposed to him. Asking is necessary. I've heard some people talk about the fact that um, Jesus knows me. He knows my heart. He knows everything about me. And that's awesome. That's really amazing. He's numbered the hairs on my head. Praise God. Including those of us who, you know, don't have as many hairs on our head as we used to. He knows. He knows. But asking is necessary. Have you ever been in a relationship where somebody assumes that you should know what they need? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? You know what that feels like, right? Because you're like, well, yeah, I feel, I get that you think I should have known. But what's wrong with asking? Asking puts you in a place of vulnerability. Asking puts you in a place of transparency. Asking denotes dependence. Because, see, if I don't ask you and you just do it, then I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's what you want to do. But we feel like we're putting ourselves out there as being needy if we ask. Asking indicates authority. Why do you ask your parents for things? You ask permission. Why? Because they have authority. They also have the authority to say yes or the authorities to say no. There are some common reasons why people don't ask questions. One of the reasons people don't ask questions 
is because they don't want to know the answer. I will propose to you that you haven't asked Jesus some things because you don't want to know his answer. Sometimes people don't ask the question because they don't want to be held accountable for the answer. And so sometimes you actually know his answer, but you say you don't know so that you don't have to be held accountable. Another reason that I found that people don't ask a question is because they don't trust the person they're asking. (coughs) Now, I know that's not y'all, right? Because we trust Jesus. So then why, when he says no, it makes you upset? If you trust him, then you trust his yes. And you trust his no. Some people don't ask a question because they're scared of not getting an answer. Not getting an answer at all. So if I don't ask, then he won't have the opportunity to ignore me or to not answer. I like not answer better. I believe in silent lessons. You ever ask your parents something? They don't respond. But they really did respond. And if you're a big smart aleck, then you push the point for an answer. Even though you got your answer. We've pushed the point with Jesus. You've asked him for something he already said no to. You've asked him for something you know is bad for you. But then on the third time asking and he doesn't say it again, then you now take that as a yes. It was a no then and it's still a no now. Now the fact that he's not raising his eyebrows and looking over his glasses at you like mama would is still a no. We need to become better askers. We need to realize that you literally are a walking disaster. You're you're literally a walking disaster without Jesus. You are a bike without a manual. You're a bike put together without a manual. Without Jesus. You are a company with no CEO, no board of directors, no front desk staff without Jesus. You are a disaster. And the fact that you put clothes on that disaster and walk that disaster around every single day without Jesus is blasphemy. He made it very clear that his grace is sufficient. Nothing else. So if you don't embrace his grace, if you don't embrace his mercy, then you don't have anything that's sufficient. Everything you're walking on, everything you're standing on, everything you're leaning on is faulty if you didn't ask Jesus. He doesn't owe it to you to make sure you keep that job because you didn't ask Jesus. He doesn't owe it to you to mend that relationship because you didn't ask Jesus. He doesn't owe it to you to keep your body operating right because you didn't ask Jesus. He didn't just say you're healed. That's not what he said. He said, by what? By his stripes. So if you don't acknowledge the stripes... If there's one bridge to get into a city and you call yourself a citizen of that city, but you've never actually crossed that bridge, you don't belong in that city. It's by his stripes. There are directions 
for every single promise that God has given us. But if you don't ask Jesus, then you won't have the instructions that you need in order to get a hold of it. In becoming a better asker, we must make sure that we actually ask the right questions. That you ask with expectation. How many of you asked somebody a question before and you knew what the answer was going to be? Absolutely. You change the way you ask. Right? So when I ask and I already know what the answer is going to be, if I know the answer is going to be yes, I ask real quick. And I don't even acknowledge. I'll be like, hey. Like if I ask a possum, like, hey, I want to buy these shoes. Can I buy these shoes? Oh, okay, thank you. They're in a the cart. Boom. I'm like, wait, you say yes, right? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. And we think the answer is going to be no. We ask with hesitation. And usually a lot more information than is needed. Right? Because you're building a case. Because you're trying to persuade them before they even say no. So you build a case. This is how we approach Jesus. You think you know. So you ask and don't even listen to the answer. You think it is a no. And so you explain to him your will, your reason, and your way. So then when he's ready to insert his will, his reason, and his way, you no longer even have his attention. He no longer has your attention, which is why it says ask, and then it says seek. It didn't say ask and look. It said ask and seek because there's more of a process than just getting an answer. But we want to put in the question and immediately get an answer. Seek implies that there is going to be some level of discovery along that journey after you ask. You have to now invest in hearing what Jesus has to say. I propose, and I say this all the time, that Jesus could not pastor most of America. Because as soon as Jesus tried to pastor you, when he started in his little parable, you'd be done. Y'all do it now. I was just trying to ask Apostle a simple question. And she asked me like 10 questions back. Just trying to lead my, like my Jesus. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to lead like my Jesus. But y'all will be frustrated with a man of God named Jesus. Do you see how he actually responds to these people's questions? If you study how he's responding to these questions, then you would have a little more seek. Asking a question is an opportunity to learn how to discern God's will. If you learn how to seek, you learn how to ask better questions. Because then you become more keen on his will. There's a certain way that I ask uh, my previous boss's questions. I say my previous boss because I fired him. So, amen. So, there's a way that I used to ask them questions, though. Right? In order to know what the purpose of the company is in order to connect it to the vision so that there were certain questions that they had no choice but to say yes. Not because I twisted their arm, but because I knew their will. I knew their vision. I knew where they were going. And so I asked questions that already aligned with where they were going. I asked questions that already aligned with what we were doing. And so if you get your seek game up, then your questions will be more keen. My kids ask crazy questions. I call them crazy questions. They ask me questions like, can we go to Paris tomorrow? They ask me questions like, can I get a new bedroom set this weekend? Like, no plans. Nothing wrong with the one they got. Trust me. And it's just like the questions are so outrageous. 
to me. But what they have is this sense of knowing that because of the authority, because of the resources, because of my love, care, and concern for them, that they could literally ask, and if I have it within my means and it lines up with the vision, then I could say yes. You've judged your question before you even asked it. The scripture goes on to say knock. This indicates persistency. And it says it will be opened on to you. When I drop off third um, to his caregiver in the morning, third gets on the stair and third knocks. Nobody hears your little knock pumpkin. We appreciate your knock. But I mean, it's just the, nobody going to answer the door. Why? Because it's a cute little knock. But that's how we ask. And then we're like, no, he's not there. But it takes me to step up on the porch behind him. And because I know that who I expect to be inside the door is inside the door, then I knock with authority and persistency, knowing that as my fist collides with that door, it makes a friction that cannot be ignored. How are you knocking? Are you knocking? And because he doesn't get to the door with the pace with which you desire, then you've turned your back on an open door because it didn't open in the timing that you wanted it to open. One of the questions that's asked of Jesus while he's here, and there's close to 117 of them, is in Luke verse um, chapter 7 verse 20 and we read here um, a story about John the Baptist and the question that he asks is are you the one this is a question of uncertainty this is a question of doubt not about what he's gonna do about literally who He is. This question, John the Baptist has seen time and time and time again who the Messiah is. He has a feeling that he is the Messiah, but yet he still sends the question. Should we look for another? We've been looking for another. And the problem with that is not the uncertainty. The problem is that we refuse to ask and let him give us an answer. Many of the people who have walked away from God and the things of God, they've walked away without giving him a chance to answer their questions. He says, bring me your questions. Ask, seek, Knock, and I guarantee that the door will be opened on to you. I don't care if you have decided that God, Jesus, the whole thing, the whole Bible is not real. Give them a chance to answer the question. Give them a chance to actually answer the question. He answers in a few different ways, but in this case, he answers that question with a directive. And if you go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf here that the dead are raised that the poor have the gospel preached to them instead of directly answering the question he makes them begin to prophesy and testify 
Because see, he can show you himself, but unless you start to rehearse who he is and testify and declare in faith the things that you do not see, the things that you have not recognized and put it in the earth, then you will still question who he is. What are you declaring that has caused you to question who he is in his nature? He establishes track record. People come and they ask, is prophecy real? I play them prophecy tapes. I show them written prophecies that are marked and dated. Now you tell me if prophecy is real. They want to know if he's a healer. Show them the medical records. And there will no longer be a question. They ask if he's a healer. And so I show them my record of a high of 36 cysts on my ovaries at one time. That's the record high. Usually they can find at least five to ten. I show them the record most likely will not be able to bear children. I show them the record of the miscarriages. And then I pull out my phone and I show them my kids. Because see, there are some things... That you ask a question and he won't just answer you, but he will show you. But you haven't given him a chance to answer. Stop looking for it in the audible voice and open your eyes. Luke 12 and 32 says, do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure (laughs) to give you the kingdom don't be worried about your little question pumpkin he's not worried about your little question but he sure wishes you would ask because if you ask there shall be a performance another question That's asked of Jesus. If we move over to Mark 4, they ask him a question. And the question is, don't you care if we drown? What kind of question? You're getting smart with Jesus? I'm just saying, I feel like you wouldn't even ask your grandma that. Like, I feel like you wouldn't ask your grandma, don't you care? Wait, Wait a minute now. Have a seat. But in Mark 4, Jesus and the disciples are on a boat and the storm is raging. They don't settle for death. They don't jump overboard and decide that God has forsaken them. They don't take matters into their own hands. They ask a question. I don't care if your question seems disrespectful. Jesus can handle it. You know why many times people feel disrespected by your question? It's because they have low self-esteem. It's because they're insecure. And because they have low self-esteem and they're insecure, they can't handle your question. People ask me, well, is that really biblical for women to preach and pastor a church? I'm doing it better than most. But I know who I am. And so because I know who I am, I'm not offended by your question. Ask your question, pumpkin. But they ask. 
asked Jesus a question. Do you care if we drown? That's the very same question that you have. You just refuse to ask it. You feel like he doesn't see you. You feel like he doesn't have a plan for you. You feel like he overlooked you. You feel like he gave you the short end of the stick. You feel like when he was giving out gifts, he skipped right on over you. You feel like when he was giving out platforms, you've done your due diligence. You've done your hard work. You've invested time. You've served. You've submitted. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Do you care if I drown? But I tell you what. It wasn't until they got so frustrated with him. I mean, they were upset. They had had it with Jesus. You sitting on this boat. He ain't doing nothing. You sleep and we up here fighting these waves. It's like you don't even care. What have you let your frustration do to you? You've let it make you fuss. You've let it make you complain. You've let it make you leave the church. You've let it make you cut off relationships. You've let it make you move to other cities. You've let it make you make dumb decisions. You've let it make you lose money. But have you let your frustration make you ask a question? It wasn't until the point of their question that he actually responded. You think that you're being respectful to him? Because you're taking your frustration and putting it other places. That's not what he said to do. He said, take all your cares, worries, anxieties, and cast them upon me. But because you put your frustrations elsewhere, you didn't get a response. Jesus, he responds. And I love it because, once again, he didn't say anything at first to them. He spoke to it. You ever had two people talking to you at the same time? And it just sounds like a bunch of confusion. I would like to propose that some of the confusion in your life is because you're still talking. And because you won't shut up and let him respond to it, and you're standing in the middle of him and it, you need to shut up and let him respond. When they got frustrated, they turned to him. And then he spoke. And by the time they turned around, it was silent. He was more effective in a few seconds than they had been all night long. Take your frustration and ask a question. James 1 and 2 says, my brother encountered all joy. When you fall into various trials, see, if you counted all joy, you could slow your roll enough to ask a question. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, patience enough to open up your mouth and ask a question. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You have lack because you won't ask the question. We can look at another question in John chapter 3. And the question that's asked in John chapter 3 is, how can a man be born when he is old? And if we look at this question, I categorize this question as a doctrinal question. So this goes in the same bucket of, 
Can God still heal? Do Christians still have demons? Is it okay for me to get remarried after I get a divorce? Is it okay for me to have premarital sex? Is it okay for this, this, this? These are doctrinal questions. (coughs) These are questions that you have. What do you do with your questions? In John chapter 3, Nicodemus took his religious self, his religious leader self, and he went and asked the question. And when he asked the question, Jesus tells him a response. He teaches him a lesson. You look for it in a book. You've paid for conference registration to get it. You've listened to somebody else's version of it. But when's the last time that you sat in the student seat of Jesus classroom and simply asked him straight up, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? But we're more open to ask somebody who is either as ignorant or more ignorant than us. Just two dummies rattling around in a bucket. Unless you think I'm talking about you, I'm talking about myself. I have a new girl I started with at work. We both knew. We call each other the newbies. And we just be asking each other questions. We started the same day. She about as dumb as I am when it comes to the stuff. We just be asking, we be texting questions to each other. We be emailing questions to each other. What are you doing? (laughs) Jesus has the authority on every doctrinal question you've ever had. You don't understand it, he'll teach it to you. You don't understand baptism, he'll teach it to you. You don't understand speaking in tongues. He will teach it to you. You don't understand the fivefold offices. He will teach it to you. But you have to ask the question. We've been seeking knowledge, but we haven't actually been asking Jesus. So his answer is revelation. Because you asked, I'm going to give you revelation. Because you asked, I'm just going to go ahead and sit here and teach it to you. And when he had a follow-up question, guess what? He gave him more revelation. He didn't get frustrated with him. He gave him another question. But guess what? This second question was an evaluative question. And he asked him, you're a teacher. He checked him. He held up accountable. With some of the stuff we say, I know we didn't ask Jesus. Because when you ask Jesus and you have a silly response to him, he will check you. He will hold you accountable for your position. He will hold you accountable for the spaces you're in. He will hold you accountable for authority you have. And even if your, own, your, your only authority is parenting your children, he'll say that to you. Yeah. You're a parent. Yeah. I need you to get it better than this. You're an intercessor. I need you to get it better than this. He'll say that to you. So for the people who go unchecked, uncorrected, and take, can't take it from their pastors, I know you don't never ask Jesus. Because if I have to teach you how to be corrected, you've probably never asked him a question. Because Jesus will teach you how to be corrected. That's not an earthly lesson. Look at the way that people ask him questions. Jeremiah 31 and 33 says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it. I will write it on their hearts. This is my promise to you. My promise to you is revelation. If you ask, I will give it to you. He hasn't reserved revelation for preachers. He hasn't reserved revelation for leaders. He hasn't reserved revelation for these people who go to seminary. You don't need an MDiv to get revelation. He said, if you ask, 
I will give it to you. The last question I want you to look at is the question in Matthew 17 and verse 19. The disciple asked, why could we not cast it out? I call this a ministry effectiveness question. When is the last time you actually asked Jesus about the direction of your ministry? For many pastors, I want to know, when's the last time you asked Jesus why your church is not growing? Ask Jesus why your book is not selling. Ask Jesus why your website didn't take off. Ask Jesus why you didn't get the promotion. Ask Jesus why nobody want to show up for your conference. Ask Jesus why nobody read your blog. Ask Jesus. That's what was modeled for us. The disciples tried to do what they felt that they had been called to do. And it didn't work. Who's been there? I try to do what I've been called to do. I'm not talking about out in the world somewhere acting crazy. I'm doing what I think he called me to do and it didn't work. That's the situation they're in right here. And you know what their response was? Not to quit the ministry. Not to judge what somebody else's looked like and how theirs was better. And it didn't make no sense why they was over there. They need to be over there. They didn't do that. They simply asked the question. Why would we try to cast the devils out? They laugh at us and don't go nowhere. Why would we prophesy everything we say don't come true? Why when I lay hands, people look at me like my breath stank? Why it's not working, Jesus? And what is the answer? He gave them a strategy. His answer was a strategy. He literally gave them a line upon line, step by step strategy. Because they asked. And he said, because of your unbelief. Then he goes on and he says, however, these kind come out. But by fasting and prayer. He didn't leave them out there high and dry. So when we say things like, I just don't know what to do. Not trying to be rude. But the answer is, ask Jesus. And if you need help in the earth, bring me what Jesus told you. And then I can help you with that. Bring me the strategy from Jesus. Bring me the correction from Jesus. Bring me the question from Jesus. Bring me the revelation from Jesus. Bring me everything that Jesus shows that he will give people when they ask him a question. Bring that and let's commune and build you up around that. I don't want to have a business strategy plan with you because you never asked Jesus. James 4 and 2 says you lust and you do not have. It is lusting. You call lusting, lusty Larry looking at body parts. That's not lust. That's not lust. It's desiring with the eyes of the flesh. It is desiring with the eyes of the flesh when you want to lay hold of something that Jesus gave to you without actually asking Jesus. That's lust. Because you want to do it in your flesh. And so because you have set your eyes on the desires of it and don't want to go over the bridge through the passageway of Jesus, then you have found yourself in lust. Yes, lust for ministry. Yes, lust for marriage. Yes, lust for family. Yes, lust for power. Yes, lust for influence. Yes, lust for impact. And it says in James 4 and 2, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. I mean, just tired, worn out. Yet, 
you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That's that flesh I was talking about. That's how you ask amiss. That you may spend it. That you may be glorified. That you may obtain it. The answer to every question you will ever have is a person. His name is Jesus. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Jesus is the truth. You sick of people lying to you? Stop asking people more than you ask Jesus. You sick of falsehood and shakiness and flakiness and inconsistency and hypocrisy? Ask Jesus more than you ask people, and I guarantee you'll get all the truth that you need. I'm not saying forsake relationships, but what I'm saying is put them in proper order. You should always know what Jesus says about it before you submit to anybody here on the earth. You don't put something that God has promised you up under somebody here on the earth so they could ruin it without Jesus having a say. Yes, there are partnerships in the kingdom, but I can only partner on something that I have a clear answer from Jesus on. We must learn to reorient our lives so that Jesus is the standard of truth. Not somebody who you look at and admire. Not somebody who went before you and they're a legend or they have a legacy and they've accomplished so much. Bless them in their accomplishments. Jesus is my standard of truth. Stand with me to your feet. From sin to salvation. From personal crisis to philosophy. From what to do with my feelings to shoot. (laughs) What to do in the morning when I wake up. Jesus is the answer. He is the truth. He is the way. And without him, you will forever feel like you need to get your life. Because he is life. I asked everybody to stand. But everybody doesn't have to participate. Today I talked about Jesus being the answer and how whether he corrects you, he changes you, he charges you, he asks you another question. He indirectly turns away from you and does something on his own. He is the only way, even when he surprises us. I want to take this moment And I want to make it a moment of repentance. We have everybody standing just because um, I think sometimes we need the support of the body. And so we're standing together. But if you know that's you. You've asked him here and there. But you are not reliant on him as the standard of truth. And you want to repent for that. I want to simply pray a prayer of repentance. If you let me know that I'm praying for you by just lifting up your right hand. And I prayed this prayer for me. This week. God, we thank you for your answers. We thank you for your willingness to respond. We thank you even for correction and the challenge of your word. And we thank you, oh God, that no matter what, you've always been there for us. And so now we repent. We repent right here in your house, in the presence of our community, in the presence of the body of Christ. And we say we are sorry. We are sorry for ignoring you when you were trying to speak to us. We're sorry for knocking and turning away when the door didn't swing wide like we wanted. We're sorry for changing your answer. We're sorry for lying on you. We're sorry for ignoring you when you gave us wisdom. We are sorry. 
and we turn completely around today. We make a 180 degree turn in the opposite direction. And we say we commit to following your voice at another level. We commit to following your voice when we didn't think we had to ask you. We are sorry. Go ahead and just insert your own prayer to the Lord right there. You're still staying in the vein of repentance. If you're not repenting right now in this moment and you're just standing by, just go ahead and pray for your brother. Don't lay hands on them or anything. Just set your intentions towards them. Come on, insert your own words. Let them hear from you. Because you know what you didn't ask them. You know exactly what you didn't listen about. Just repent. He's listening and he's hearing from you. He's seeing the posture of your heart. He's seeing your intention and he's girding you with strength. He's girding you with truth. He's giving you the faith to believe again. He's healing your wounds of the answers that maybe weren't what you expected. And he's filling those spaces in with trust. So God, we say we trust you this morning. We trust you again. You've always been faithful. You have a track record that cannot be denied. You have always been faithful. And so now we commit our faithfulness to you. We will ask you in times of trouble. We will ask you in times of confusion. We will ask you in times of frustration. We will ask you in times of victory. We will ask you in times where it appears that we may be losing. But whatever it is, whatever the season, no matter the case, we will ask you. No longer will we lean on we didn't know or confusion or different things like that. Blaming other people or our circumstances for not knowing. Because the truth lives inside of us. And so now we make a decision to engage that truth that lives on the inside of us. And we thank you and we praise you. I don't say that as a ritual, but we thank you and we praise you. It's not a ritual. Thank him and praise him. Thank him and praise him. No, there's a sound of a grateful people. Thank him and praise him. Thank him and praise Hey, hey, we bless your name. God, you are worthy to be praised. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated in the house of the Lord? How many of you are going to ask Jesus some questions this week? And not for things and not for stuff. A sugar daddy can do that. We want wisdom. We want revelation. We want language, strategy for a new season. Hallelujah. Put your hands.